Hey guys, you're listening to episode 10 of the Bristol Film Critics Circle podcast. Uh, I'm your host today, Liam McLeod, and joining me is Tim Hayes. Hello. Tim, good to see you again. Thanks, Liam. Good to see you too. Yeah. So today we're going to be discussing the film Steve Jobs, uh, directed by Danny Boyle from script by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, You know the basics. Uh, Fassbender plays Jobs. Kate Winslet is playing Joanna Hoffman. And yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about the film, give you our opinions on what we thought, and then go into a little bit of depth about it. Just talk about Sorkin, his work, talk about biographies, because... Let's be honest, it's coming up to Oscar season. We're going to have a few of them to talk about. Uh, Tim, what did you think of Steve Jobs? On the whole, I liked it. Um, I think these days there's a problem with biographies that try to just be very conventional Mm. and tell the story of somebody as they go about their daily business. And Mm -hmm. it's just very potentially dull and a bit familiar and a bit predictable. So I'm in favour of anything that tries to approach the topic from a different angle or put some kind of uh, new spin on it. In this case, Sorkin's divided it up into three sections built around three significant product launches that Jobs was involved in. And each one is like a little self-contained play on its own. And it is a very theatrical conceit and a fairly theatrical film. Uh, It has all Sorkin's trademark dialogue that, that runs very quickly and is very erudite and very sharp and very funny. That is also makes it feel quite theatrical. Mm. Um, but on the whole, I thought it was it was fine. I think it's it's good in this context that Michael Fassbender did not look or sound very much like Steve Jobs. No. Um, that that's another element of slight deconstruction, which I'm I'm all in favour of. Um, I don't think it could really reach much of a conclusion about the man other than pointing out that he was difficult and a temperamental genius, but that's that's the nature of genius also. But I thought it was fine. I thought it was a good film. Yeah, this is this is definitely not set up like conventional bio, uh, biography, and I definitely don't think um, the character of Steve Jobs as presented in this film really has a distinct character arc, but it's certainly not like he needs to. It's it's an amazing, very well-tempered performance from uh, Michael Fassbender that gives you sort of a touch of how his character mellowed over the years. But yeah, you're right. I do like I do like the setup for this, um, setting it around three product launches: the the Macintosh in '84, the next computer in 1988, and the iMac in 1998. I'm tempted to say, and. I think Sokin's dialogue, it flows so well and it's so electrifying to listen to that you that the technical setup of the film never never feels like a jarring element. It never throws you uh, out of your sort of immersion with the film. And at the same time, it never tries to present like this recurring Greek chorus as anything other than theatrical. Like Jobs actually comments... Um, towards the end of the film it's like every time I launch a product everyone hits the bar and starts to tell me what they really think and it really is does feel like that it feels like a Greek chorus of certain major people in his life having these three confrontations with him and it's thrilling to watch I don't think anyone other than Sorkin could have really written this I think the arc of the character is 
almost not the weakest point of the film but i mean it is a conventional arc in that he starts off being a complete bastard mm. or is presented as a way which you could interpret him as being a complete bastard mellows during the course of the film and at the end gets the moment where he reconciles with the daughter who is a significant part of the plot line yeah through, through the years i mean that that's a fairly conventional kind of spin on a on a character Certainly, but at the same time, it's never it's never a complete resolution. I ha- this is um, what we're talking about here is the heart of the film, um, the emotional core, which is his relationship with uh, Chrisanne Brennan and his daughter Lisa Brennan, who he denied parentage of for quite a substantial amount of time. And even at the very end of the film, it's never presented as something that's going to be entirely resolved. His daughter is always going to be very chilly with him, justifiably so, and he can only really make occasional token efforts to uh, bring them closer together, such as putting a lot of music in her pocket. But yeah, it's it's very good. I think you are you are right. the The character arc of uh, Jobs is is this film's weakest point. And I think there's a lot to be said about the supporting players and their role in the film. Like, if it didn't have all of these uh, great, like this cast of characters for Jobs to bounce off of, this wouldn't be as strong a film as it is, and it wouldn't be as good a character piece. That's true. But Sorkin is very good at ensemble casts. Yeah. Um, Jeff Daniels turns up in this film as John Scully. Mm-hmm. On the basis of the newsroom, there's probably no actor currently upright as in tune with Sorkin's method as Daniels. But there's some great supporting actors um, in the cast of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters playing Steve Wozniak. Who... Seth, Seth Rogen, yeah, mm-hmm. playing a very good dramatic performance here. I, I I was actually worried watching him doing Wozniak, not because... Um, not because of uh, the performance. I, I know that Rogan is a good like dramatic performer, even outside what he's done. Um, I was actually worried about how petty he would come across to people who didn't quite know um, the personal history between Wozniak and Jobs. Uh, j- just because it does seem quite unreasonable that 14 years later, he's still asking for Jobs to acknowledge him on, uh, on this product he made years ago. And... I don't think Rogan comes off as uh, as petty in that final scene, but uh, this is coming as someone who who does know that history. What did you think, Tim? No, I I I thought the character arc was okay for Wozniak, but I just didn't find him as interesting. In fact, as most of the other supporting characters, um, mm. the Kate Winslet character, who is yeah, she's uh, she's definitely this film's uh, MVP. Mm. Yeah. Although, um, I will say I would like to find out what the shooting order for this film was, because it does seem like it it took a while for her to find that character's accent. And there's there's just in the middle of the film, it does seem to veer into like moose and squirrel um, territory of like bad Eastern European accents. I think it was an interesting character in that it's a it's a pretty strong female character mm. who doesn't become romantically involved with anyone and the, the character never kind of devolves in that direction she's just a solid supportive well-written female character and stays that way from beginning to end 
yeah, her her relationship with Steve is definitely presented as like the strongest and healthiest it has. And I do feel it gets towards the end of the film. I, you know, I keep talking about the end of the film. This is probably where like the strongest dramatic stuff lies. This is sort of where it reaches its major point of conflict, where she's basically forcing him to make some sort of resolution with Lisa, and that's where it becomes uh, its most torn. And yeah, Winslet sells the hell out of it. You can you can hear in her voice that she definitely wouldn't back down about this if if she had to leave and find another job um, in order to, you know, drive this home to jobs, then she would have done. So, yeah, it's very powerful stuff. So do you think that overall this film is is a pretty good biopic? There often seem to be a lot of very bad biopics around at any given time. This one, this one seems better than average, for sure. Definitely, yeah. In terms of biographies, better than average. And I feel like it really obeys uh, this key rule of storytelling which is um is this the most uh, important thing to happen in your main character's life and i don't know if the launches in themselves were the most important part of uh, steve's life i mean not this isn't like the launch of the iphone which turned out to be as revolutionary as uh, as anything apple's produced but his relationships with most of these individuals, I feel, was definitely at the hit at the core of who he was and how difficult of a person he could be. And by doing that, it allows it, it allows that to just come to the surface so that we can see it on on screen. And it's definitely a cut above your average biopic, which is basically just most biopics feel like like little trivial lists of um, personal events in a in a person's life. This one actually feels to be hitting at like the most important thing about the person. No, I'd agree. I think biopics these days do have a problem. Uh, certainly, biopics which are about, for want of a better word, current celebrities, people who are in the public mm. eye or whose lives are on the whole. Yeah. familiar or part known to us already the the problem is that in the old days biopics would have aimed to show you things going on in the lives of the characters or aspects of their lives which you didn't already know but these days we are surrounded we are saturated by the lives of other people especially famous or semi-famous people mm. all media but especially the internet and television dissolve the lives of these characters constantly and any biopic which just depicts the life a day in the life of a person mm. it, it's there's nowhere for them to stand anymore let's no. let's list a few bad biopics from recent months and years the one about diana was terrible oh. the one about grace of monaco was terrible the one about James Hunt was not great. The one about Julian Assange was terrible. There's nowhere for these films to stand, I think, when the lives of these people are already deconstructed fairly viciously by all media around us all the time. I think they have a real problem. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I do have to ask, though, is the James Hunt one Rush? Yeah. You didn't like Rush? No. I'm I'm really surprised. Uh, I, I don't feel like Rush is... A traditional biography and I feel like it's as much a Nicky Lauda biopic as it is um, a James Hunt biopic but yeah I, 
I thought it was solid, uh, if underwhelming. But I I know what you're saying, and I think the the key is focusing on something in those uh, in those people's lives that in at the end of the day is actually quite uh, trivial to watch. I mean, uh, Diana. So much of that film was driven by like her romantic relationships and her getting hounded by the press. And like you say, that's something we all know about. And I, I do think to a certain extent, the internet age has impacted on uh, how we receive biopics. The fact that we can just Wikipedia and uh, know almost everything about a historical figure. I think one of the things that drove people away from the imitation game was just how how badly it portrayed a, a real human being compared to what most people know about it. I mean, the the character the characterization of Turing really put a lot of people off, and the fact that it didn't really go as hard as it did with um, you know the sort of final great tragedy of it. I think that definitely killed it more in America than it did over here. I think it was fairly well received here, but yeah, biographies that don't grasp what was important about a particular person, definitely the ones that fail. Mm. Yeah, the, t- the two examples I'm thinking of are um, American Sniper and Unbroken, ones that really sort of didn't capture the most interesting part of their main character's lives. I think it's also, I mean, personally, I don't always have a huge problem with that because I don't figure that the obligation of a biopic is to tell me everything there is to tell. Mm. Do kind of figure it's part of the picture. It's the great, this is the great spell of cinema that you come out of a biopic about anybody, Steve Mm. Jobs or anyone else, and think you now know them. But you don't really. No. You never do. You've only seen a fictionalized recreation of some aspects. Hmm. by skilled professionals um, but you always come out thinking that you now know everything yeah I think the other tactic that works is to just be a bit more radical to just come at a topic from a sideways angle and either not be not tell it in a linear narrative or hmm. not make it um, a straightforward logical progression or be a bit surreal or just kind of do something to try and try and generate a bit of static around the topic rather than just depict the guy going about or girl going about their business mm. on a daily basis. Yeah, but I think that's a necessity for most biopics anyway. I think the traditional structure of a biography where you just tell the life story of someone in linear fashion is is something that we've all become rather saturated with and if and if one needs to stand out um, as Steve Jobs does, it does need to try and find something interesting to do with the structure or presentation of it. And I think a little bit of surrealism definitely wouldn't go far amiss. It would probably give you a much better insight into the psychology of, uh, of a character than, it, than any sort of life history uh, depictions would. But, yeah, um... I, I don't know. I don't think I'd know where to start uh, if I was to begin making a biography. I, I don't even know who I'd do it about. So what would, what's what's your favourite film biopics? What's, what ones do you think did work and do tell you, tell, oh. a, tell a story in a good way? 
I, I keep coming back to Scorsese's two biopics, or at least the ones that I can um, I can immediately drag up. That's uh, The Aviator and The Wolf of Wall Street. Two very different films. Aviator is very much a conventional biopic, uh, and it, it feels... A lot of the times The Aviator feels like very much something that's pandering to an Oscar crowd. The Wolf of Wall Street just feels like something that's balls to the walls insanity put on screen and it's completely sexed up for our enjoyment and that might be that might be a cynical way to go about doing a biopic it might be a tasteless one but it was it was one hell of a ride to experience that so yeah what about you what um what particular biopics struck out with you well i'm gonna pick a couple that are unconventional um, I like 24-hour party people, mm-hmm. which is, what's the word for it? Not sure. Not surreal exactly, but certainly... Uh, schizophrenic? Yeah. It tells, it's telling its story through any number of different sideways, odd narrative spins. It knows that it's a film, so yeah, the, the line between actor and character are deliberately blurred right from the off. Mm-hmm. It's trying to kind of... I think what it's trying for is some kind of alchemy of stirring a pot for a historical moment. It's a fascinating film and I can watch it a lot. <laughs> the other one, which is in way off there in terms of this discussion, would be I'm Not There, the Todd Haynes film about Bob Dylan. But when I say about Bob Dylan, it's about yeah. Bob Dylan in such a loose sense that biography is probably not the right word mm. for what it's about. In that case, you would certainly not come away from the film feeling you knew Bob Dylan's life but I think if you go into it knowing Bob Dylan's life you come out with a perspective mm. and some form of sideways illumination on it which I think is a, a, a perfectly valid thing for a biopic to try and do mm. but in that that case clearly is not necessarily for everyone. Speaking of surrealism I, I have just sort of like twigged as who to, who I would make a biopic about and it's like oh yeah obviously I would have made the Bill Hicks biopic that's that's what I wanted to do when I was like a fledgling um, like university student making films and there's a lot of opportunity for surrealism in that mm-hmm. but yeah um, the Todd Haynes uh, Bob Dylan one uh, that that's the one where there's like five different actors playing Dylan at least yes including Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Or playing avatars of Dylan in some form or other, some aspect of Dylan's life and career, yeah. condensed into different stages. The first one, well, one of them is a, a seven-year-old black boy who calls himself, um, wow. he calls himself Woody Guthrie. Right. So that's a, I mean, that's a sideways spin on the Dylan character by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So yeah, um, just yeah, just to wrap up, um, going going back to Steve Jobs. This is this might just be me and not being able to pick enough in the cinematography and everything like that. I didn't really, I didn't really identify this as a Danny Boyle film as much as I identified it as an Aaron Sorkin film. The one uh, exception being the the score to it. Um, it's a very it's a very electric score, um, but it, I felt that it was very subtle and very much in the in the increasingly tense mind of, of Jobs um, kind of set, kind of score. Um, I thought it was incredibly well done, but at, at the same time, that was the only thing I could identify as inherently boil. 
What about you? Yeah, I'd agree. I'm not sure that Danny Boyle's films have a immediately identifiable fingerprint anyway. Um, but no. it's the nature of Sorkin's dialogue <laughs> means that any film in which characters start speaking Sorkinese, mm. which to be fair is not every film he's written, but there are some mm-hmm. where it's definitely happening in front of you. It immediately... Yeah. feels more like the work of the writer than the director anyway. Mm. It does feel a very theatrical film. Yeah. But then Sorkin started off as a theatrical writer and Boyle's gone back to theatre lately with great success. So yeah. I think in this case, it, the the authorship is does feel more like Sorkin than Boyle, for sure. Mm. Yeah, which which is a shame. Like, th- there's, there's only so many, like, mainstream directors in Britain that you can really identify as sort of auteurs if you use that term and I think Boyle is one it's just a shame that he doesn't have quite enough distinctiveness um that you know really sets him apart like most people when they think of auteurs they think of someone who the style is linked to um the the director Boyle isn't so much like that he's just an incredibly good director of films but yeah, um, I do. I did. I did like how much of a Sorkin film this was. I don't think it was Sorkin in the Sorkinese in the bad way. Um, I definitely run cold to Sorkinese in Newsroom, where I was watching the first episode and thinking to myself, "Wow, these characters keep like talking and talking and talking, and they never actually say anything." But when it came to Jobs, everything they said, even the petty, trivial stuff, it provided insight into jobs and that's that's Sorkinese that I like I think uh, the newsroom is probably not the most successful of Sorkin's exercises new but even that level of success puts it a long way above a lot of other programs in my opinion Mm. I certainly think that uh, as a method to delineate characters and set up dramatic situations having actors talk to each other is still the best way possible to do it. The mm. best special effect of all is still actors talking to each other, and mm. Sorkin makes that happen in a way which most writers do. So I forgive him most of his <laughs> sins and most of the newsroom's problems in return for that. Mm, definitely. And, yeah, uh, I think that's us at the 25, 30-minute mark. So, yeah, should we wrap this up then? Uh, thanks, Tim, for uh, joining us today. Hopefully, we will see you again in the near future. And yeah, uh, bye for us. Bye bye.